Hey there, and welcome to the What You Got podcast, where we talk topics A to Z and everything in between. I am Jordan Palmer, joined as always by Charlie Bud. And today, people, is part one of the day we've been building towards for uh, a couple months now, and that is Dune, but the book and not the movie. This is the story of Paul, a young boy in an intergalactic age-old familial rivalry in which now his family of the Atreides find themselves running this wild planet called Arrakis that is full of a specific spice that is the economic driver for the entire galaxy. And uh, there's so much more to this story. Charlie, I'm so excited right now to be going over this because I literally spent the last couple days just grinding to finish this book. After everything you've told me, I'm uh, starting to understand. So with that, bud... What you got well palmer i'm super excited that you finally have read it and uh i actually think you can <laughs> lower your mic a little bit because you are very good with the mic down on your desk because you were pretty loud oh. there <laughs> <laughs> sorry just sorry a little technical stuff you're good you're good um but anyways get, getting back to the point here uh yeah super excited that you finally read it really curious about your thoughts this is a book i read a couple of years ago um, was super excited when I heard uh, that they were adapting it into a movie with none other than Denis Villeneuve at the helm. So, you know, we're finally at that at that moment, three days away. We're going to go see Dune together. It's going to be an exciting, exciting time. Um, but, you know, I'm really, really curious what you thought of the book just as like a general gist. Was it everything that you expected? Was it very different from what you were expecting? What do you, what, do you, what you got for me? Oh, man, bud. <laughs> it's crazy because I think you read it two or three years ago now. And yeah, you told I read me it about in it. 2018. So, mm, a couple of years see, ago. you've been hyping it up. Mm-hmm. And you were like, as most things in my life, you told me about it. I was like, oh, okay, Dune, I think I've heard of it, but I haven't really explored it. Mm-hmm. And space, you know, opera kind of deal. And I imagine there'd be some elements of a lot of fighting, but. When I got into this book, I think the thing that first hit me the most was the philosophy. Mm-hmm. And that's with every chapter, you'll see some saying from Wadib, um, from the basically written out by the princess. Wadib. Wadib. And that's the thing we're going to also, people, for you all, there will be some spoilers in this particular podcast. I feel like we've given the disclaimer now a couple yeah. times in the most recent ones, but especially for this, please, if you don't want to hear about this incredible book, especially if you're going to go see the movie, just hop off, you know? It's not even that big a deal. Come back to it a little bit later after you've read the book or, or seen the film. But, um, yeah, so Mwadib, uh philosophy was very interesting. And you told me, I believe it was, that the ideologies come from Islam for the Fremen, who are the people who live on Arrakis. Mm-hmm. And then also there was the overarching Bene Gesserit, who are kind of this uh, shadow group that kind of... Yeah. I the entire galaxy along. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that was based in Buddhism. So Fremen's like actual culture is um, based on Islam, but their their philosophy, at least I think Muad'Dib's philosophy, is based on Zen Buddhism. Oh, uh, okay. Which that was you it. could kind of argue that might be the Bene Gesserit because of certain things at play in the novel, uh-huh. but from it's more at least his religion and the one that he. Um, kind of, I don't know if it's like kind of created or not, but like the one that he's prophesied yeah. to be like their God, essentially, um, 
he that that religion i believe is based on zen buddhism so interesting um, yeah i can totally see that i know i, I had the i had the same kind of takeaways though about like the book was way more philosophical than i had intended or expected when i was reading mm-hmm. it i picked it up expecting it to kind of be the star wars before star wars <laughs> in case you got, if nobody knows the book was written in 1965 um way before star wars and star wars was very much inspired by uh dune um but and then when i picked it up like yeah first thing that struck me right away was just like there was like deep kind of like quotes at the beginning of every, like every chapter um you know like some of my favorites like deep in the human unconsciousness is a pervasive need for a logical universe that makes sense but the real universe mm. is always one step beyond logic and, you know, i loved uh fear is the what the mind killer uh that's like everybody that's like that's like the quote you all know? right well i mean no, no no it's okay right. it's like it's the yeah. famous quote from dune you know, it's like, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total yeah. obliteration. I will face <laughs> my fear. I will permit it to pass, o- me, pass over me and through me. And when it is gone, past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. I'm sorry, are you just saying that all from memory? No, I was reading it here. <laughs> I, was like, I have some quotes pulled up, just, you know, to reference. <laughs> Good call, good call. Man, you were Yeah, could you imagine if I, like, completely thing. recited that quote from memory? <laughs> Dude, I'd be like, you were on this thing, man. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> no, but see, that was crazy. I mean, it was crazy, and it, it definitely got me thinking, especially as the novel went on and the state that Paul was in kind of evolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what did you think yeah. of that, like, journey of, like, Paul? Uh, so Paul starts out. Let's just talk about Paul for yeah, a second. Yeah, please right? do. Let's I'm very curious to hear Paul. your thoughts. I got questions for you, Paul. <laughs> so I want to hear your thoughts. Well, it's so interesting because the story is driven by strong characters, and when I say strong, I don't necessarily mean likable. I mean just people who are mm-hmm. very bent in a specific way of thinking or have a goal. Who do you think drives the plot forward forward the most? Ooh, good question. But honestly, honestly, I'm gonna have to say Jessica. Yep, that's what I would say. It was all right. Definitely Jessica. It's definitely Jessica. She, in my opinion, is kind of the arbiter of manipulation on the Fremen people. She Mm -hmm. basically uses Paul almost as like a puppet to manipulate the Fremen into getting under the Atreides wing. Absolutely. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Jessica is Paul's mom. Yes, who is also yeah. a Bene Gesserit. Yes, indeed. Uh, a member yes, of the indeed. Bene Gesserit sisterhood. Oh, man. Yes. That was interesting, too, the relationship there. But, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, it was just Jessica. I feel like it was either she was doing something that caused something to happen or she did something and Paul had to come through and clean up. And there was that one moment after they've united with the Fremen, this mm-hmm. group of people who are native to Arrakis, in which Paul recognizes her as his enemy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's that's a big point because yeah. the entire time I knew what she was doing and I wasn't sure if Paul was aware, but that's when he was like, ah, oh, I know what's going on. So that was, that was a big character development moment for me. Mm-hmm. So getting yeah. back to kind of your thoughts on Paul, please like, okay. explain <laughs> to me a little bit more about kind of how you saw Paul throughout this, his story. All right, Paul. 
Paul, Paul, Paul. Now, see, I heard that name. You were like, it's about a kid named Paul. I was like, what a weird name for a book based yeah. in space, but okay. Um, but, you yeah, know, when so you I have started... names like, uh, like, like Gurney Halleck, Stilgar, yeah. or Hawit, and like, and then you just have Leto Atreides and Paul. Dude, Duncan Idaho. Duncan <laughs> like, Idaho. if that dude ain't country, then I don't know who it is. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry to uh, derail you there. Uh, if we continue. So good. I was going to say, so Paul is interesting because he started out, honestly, I didn't. I thought he was kind of pomp- pompous at the beginning. Like, throughout, I'll say, he had this air of privilege that I was like, okay, I get it. You know, you're a Duke's son. You were raised to be a warrior in kind of a male form of the Bene Gesserit in which you're able to look at an individual and pick up on the subtleties of their expressions and movements to determine their true intentions. But I said, okay, so he's kind of raised in that regard. And then as you started seeing his contact with others and interactions he had, he would just start talking and saying stuff. And it was like, Paul, nobody asked you. And yet... And yet these people are like, this kid's a genius, or he speaks like a man, but he's a boy. And I'm like, no, he's just a rude kid who just spoke up when he should have been quiet. So I uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I was conflicted initially. Hmm. Then we get thrown into a unique situation in which the rival family to the Atreides, the Harkonnens, come through and they more or less completely wipe, the, wipe out the Atreides, hmm. killing, uh, in addition, um, Paul's father. And so with that, it thrust Paul into the role of Duke, although it wasn't recognized because people thought he was dead. And so it was interesting because in that moment, you saw a shift from not only boy to man, now you saw from you know next Duke to the actual Duke. And that's also when you saw the, what, Lizan al-Gaib kind of element, or Muad'Dib start stepping out because that's when he started noticing his prescient memory. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really interesting. And so with that, I thought it gave a little bit more reason to some of his actions because at that point in time, he's seeing the past, the future, and the present and kind of the different pathways in which time could flow. So there was some responsibility. So I got that. But at the same time, he doesn't necessarily fully understand this ability. He acts like he does. And I get you got to fake it till you make it. But at the same time, he didn't feel the need to really lean on anybody. Mm-hmm. I think the only person who he ever really truly confided in was Chani, his uh, Fremen woman who ultimately became his concubine, not even his wife. And um, it's very <laughs> a uh, 1960s terminology. Yeah. <laughs> it's a concubine. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Oh. Not even like, I don't know, lady in waiting or something. <laughs> could do that. <laughs> but like um, yeah, no, so. Yeah, I would have even taken Mistress over Concubine. (laughs) But she, uh, no, so that was the only one he ever really leaned on. Mm -hmm. And then at the the end, this is all coming to a head, and he has just the easy layup win. He says, no, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to make this a lot harder and chance basically everything we've just done, all the sacrifices we've just made in order to drive a point home that nobody will ever really truly care about when this is all said and done. So that's... uh, that's Paul for me. Paul in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. So, how do you feel about Paul? <laughs> well, you know, I when I first read the book, I was really like, I was like attached to his character in the sense that I felt mm-hmm. like, from my point of view, I felt like a fallen house, and then I was kind of all about like him rising to like 
extraordinary power and then leading like a rebellion and like sacking the Harkonnens, which were in bed with the emperor as we find out. Um, and like, so I was really on board with that, uh, that plan. I really liked his character, definitely not without faults, but as I finished the book and, you know, reflected upon it, I kind of started thinking that I don't think Paul is necessarily a savior or a hero in this story. In fact, I'd almost argue that he's kind of the villain mm, of at least if you take it from the perspective of like the Fremen. Yes. Do you feel the same? Do you think Paul is I, a hero or a villain in this story? At the end of the day, especially as it came kind of towards the end and what you're seeing is that Paul is bringing them under the ducal slash treaties, like house banner, when i started realizing that this dude had this ulterior mode especially when he's more or less getting still guard to align with him and mm. proclaim his loyalty yeah i was like here here is Stilgar, a man of the fremen who's basically their leader who they don't they have obviously someone who yeah. guides them their leader and they have their reverend mother but it's it's more of a community mm. but in paul's kind of view especially the direction he was taking it he was going to be the ruler and they were all just going to do his bidding, sacrifice themselves whenever he needed them to. Mm. And then there's the whole scene in which they're preparing for this attack, the storm, as they call it, in which they're going to, I think, use atomics on this um, shield. And people are telling him, you, we should get out of here. You know, things, we got to start moving. And he's not doing anything. No, mm. not a care in the world. People are dying around him and he's focusing on what they have, whereas his dad would have focused on the loss of yeah. people. So I was like, this dude just, uh, he kind of sucks. And it's interesting you said you were cheering for him because you thought of it as a fallen house. Yeah. I was. And then there were times where I said, you know, maybe I just, we just let it happen. And the trees just kind of dies out. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, I would mean, be the worst thing. I the think world. the book is a massive criticism on a lot of things. Uh, one of them being how, like, the essentially the ruling class exploits almost like the working class in a sense. Mm. Because the, the Atreides and the Harkonnens, you know, they're the work or they're the uh, ruling class of society. And the beef is between them two. And the Emperor is kind of the, the one pulling the strings behind the Harkonnens, which is only subtly hinted at and then revealed towards the end of the book, but subtly hinted at in the beginning. Um, I mean, especially when the Sadakar are the ones who raid and kill the Atreides, you're like, hold on a sec. Isn't that <laughs> supposed to be the Emperor's forces? So that's his squad. That's his, that's his crew. Um, anyways, but, um, like, upon reflection of the story, it definitely feels like that Paul and the Atreides family, that it was all set up for this. Like it was Paul is basically the role of many people's storylines in like at once. He is the result of uh, you know, the storyline of inheriting the Atreides uh dukeship or whatever you call it. Um it, he's also the you know, the Quizak Hatterak of the yep. Bene Gesserit's breeding program, you know? And they it all kind of comes at this like collision point when they go to Arrakis and they are on the planet and they have already set up the tremendous, like the Bene Gesserit have already set up this tremendous amount of um, like for like, I don't know. Uh, I'm really they established like, a foundation. Yeah, the foundation. Thank you. Yeah. They established this foundation for Paul 
to essentially become their messiah their you know their god uh because you know he is everything that the ban hs route were planning to do and take control of the most valuable planet in the universe and he's a culmination of all these plots and like so the entire time the atreides are just using the fremen for their own purposes and don't actually care because they are they knowingly are manipulating the fremen to following in fault paul's religion Mm -hmm. which is why i don't think he's a good or at least anyone in the atreides family is necessarily a good uh or a hero or in that regard i actually will counter that okay one character yes his sister alia who oh alia i say it's alia i don't know how he's yeah I said Aaliyah, but okay, I'm cool with Aaliyah. I'm cool with Aaliyah. <laughs> I don't know if it's, I mean, I don't know. I, I always read it as Aaliyah, but maybe it is Aaliyah. I don't know. <laughs> For the sake of this podcast, I'll say Aaliyah. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, so I thought that it was interesting. So Aaliyah is a young girl who is in the womb while they're escaping and while the Duke, who's Paul's father, is killed. And so ultimately, when they get adopted into the Fremen society, and Jessica is made the Reverend Mother and undergoes this, um, I guess, metaphysical experience in which she has to drink this poisonous um, concoction that transfers the consciousness of the previous Reverend Mother and all the other all the other Reverend Mothers before her to Jessica. But daughter Alia is in the womb, and so she also undergoes this experience, which forever changes her and makes her something not of this world. Pre-born, so even as-, as they say. You said freeborn preborn oh preborn that makes sense because mm-hmm. even as a toddler she's talking and like as, yeah. as the book says like an adult but mm-hmm. she's a child mm-hmm. and so i thought that it's it was unfortunate in a way but at the same time i thought she made the most of it and it reminded me if you ever read aragon a long time ago okay many moons ago yeah. so there is a character in there named elva i imagine that elva was in part inspired by alia mm-hmm. But Elva has the ability, she's blessed by Aragon, but he's not really good with magic, so he accidentally makes it a curse, and she can feel other people's pain, so she becomes like an adult while she's still a child, and they don't know what to do with her. So I just felt the parallels there, but Alia goes through, and she's clutch. She's taking people out, she's making the most of it, and she sees how people see her. And she doesn't let that stop her from trying to do, you know, the best that she can mm-hmm. and speaking truth as well. So I was like, you know, I'll give her a pass of yeah. anybody in this family. Mind you, Jessica, I'm curious on your thoughts about her. You said you thought she drove the story, but mm-hmm. how do you feel about her as a person? Well, it's really hard. I think Jessica's a pretty complex character. And it's funny that you mentioned like Alia because it's interesting where her characters go, her her character goes in the <laughs> sequels. So you know, once you read those, I want to come back to that point. But, okay, perfect. perfect. Um, anyways, uh, Jessica, you know, her character is is complicated because she's almost like a servant to the shadow organization, but in a way, she betrays it because of loyalty to the Duke Leto Atreides. Um, so it's 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 tough because I feel like. She kind of has loyalty to the Bene Gesserit's program, but I feel like she has more loyalty to the Atreides family in a way. Mm -hmm. Because even though, yes, Paul is kind of a culmination, but it's like a generation too early 
If yeah, and like and it was also supposed she was supposed to give birth to a girl, and then the next next generation was supposed to be what Paul is uh, essentially. And I like but so I think her lawyer like she uses the Bene Gesserit's program despite their wishes um to enhance the name or like to you know put forward uh Paul um so she I think is someone who still is like the rest of the Atreides is manipulative I mean by the nature of the Bene Gesserit they are feared in the galaxy um Mm -hmm. and you know, because of, you know, how well they can read human, you know, people, you know, how they can manipulate, use the voice. Um, and, I mean, it's even possibly they are able to manipulate an entire indigenous cultures on planets by simply creating a profit in a breeding program. It's just wild to me. And she takes full advantage of that and oh, yeah. pushes Paul to be uh, the Kwisak Haderach, the Muad'Dib, their savior of Arrakis. The other mm. Fremen, their savior, even though he's not a savior by any stretch. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man. But like they use him because he's able to va- wield tremendous influence because of a lie that they essentially create um, mm-hmm. that goes back generations, right? And it's like he's finally here. It's like basically being told that Jesus is coming in two thousand years, and it actually comes true. And then that, and then like in that sense, it, I mean, I'm sorry to all the religious people out there, but like it's basically being told in the year 500 that Jesus will be here in two in 2,000 years, and then 2,000 years shows up, and boom, he's actually there, and you're like, holy shit, this is what we've been reading about. For, this is it. This is 2,000 years. That is essentially what happens in the story of Paul and Jessica, and Jessica takes full advantage of that. Oh yeah, and she. And the crazy thing is. You remember there's a moment in which Stilgar and her are having a back and forth. Yeah. And she says, and it's when she's trying to not get killed. So she uses some bit of information that she learned earlier that he doesn't know that she knows mm-hmm. in terms of the, where they're going. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, this is, it's a sign. And she's like, oh, if only he knew the tricks we like, we use. Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, you. I know. There's so many hints that you. are dropped throughout that, like, you know that hints back to the manipulation of the Bene Gesserit and then like this ruling class like exploiting basically you know the bourgeois I don't know the, <laughs> I mean, no yeah I, absolutely you know, yeah it's just it's just yeah. wild and I think it's a definite criticism of like that and also a criticism of uh mixing religion and politics as well mm, absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely Oh man, I was gonna ask as well. Okay, looking at the squad that was on the uh, House of Trades team, mm-hmm. um, was anybody Jeb a, a fan favorite that you you're attracted to? You're like, okay, that's that's a cool dude. I'll I'll stick with him. I mean, or were you sad to see anybody go? Uh, I mean, I always like Duncan. I always like Duncan I Idaho. Duncan. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he's like the true hero at the end of the day of mm-hmm. uh, of the story. Um, I think he's one of my favorites. Uh, I do, I do like, I liked Paul when I re- read Dune. You know, it's just, I like the philosophy that he preached. Even though, like, yeah, I know that he's not supposed to be, and even all of House of Trades is not really supposed to be the, the good people. But like, you root for them. The story is that you still root for him at the end of the day. <laughs> um, 
because you know the Harkonnens are just somehow worse. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Duncan it might be like one of my favorites. What about you? I would say Duncan as well. It was weird. I just from the jump I said I like this guy, especially because he was willing to take the L and go live with the Fremen when they didn't really even know who they were and were yeah. trying to bring them over. And the fact that Leto tra- trusted him to be the person to kind of act as their ambassador said a lot about him. Also, he ended up sacrificing himself just so that Paul and Jessica could get out. So yeah. RIP to a real one. RIP to a real one. one. (laughs) He was pretty sick. Um, But what was I going to say? I'm curious though. Like, did you get any senses at the beginning that the emperor was kind of involved in the plot? against the Harkonnens. When did you kind of realize that was the case? So you mean siding with them? Yeah. So it's interesting. It took me a second because what the book does is it throws out a lot of terminology initially. And yeah. while it explains some of the terms, it doesn't all of them. So like the Sardaukar or Sardukar, yeah, being his kind of private army, when they started saying that and the fact that they were rumbling among themselves in the treaties that, oh, I think there are Sardi Cargo disguised as Fremen mm-hmm. or who are working. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? But the more I heard it, I said, oh, I think that the emperor is somehow involved with this. And then especially between the exchange of the count mm-hmm. and the baron, because the count represents was basically the emissary from the emperor. I said, oh, okay. They definitely were in bed and they yeah. supported him. Although apparently it came at great expense to the Harkonnens to take out the House of Treaties. So I thought that was cool that Paul used some of that to his advantage in order to take them out. But in speaking of the enemy family, there was one character I really wanted to pick your brain about. Okay. And that was uh, Fade Rotha, who was like the Nah Baron. Oh. Who was supposed uh, to inherit. Ra- oh, like he's the... It's not Beast Rabon, is it? Or it's... Not Rabon. It's yeah. the brother who's younger, who was like 17 at the start, who was basically killing folks and uh going to be the baron because the baron had tapped him to mm-hmm. yeah actually, next in line i can't remember so much about his character like does he mm. die he does die okay he does <laughs> yeah, die. Like, almost made it had like three pages left and he just <laughs> oh, Fade Martha dies beast rabban dies as well i'm pretty sure Yo. but it was interesting and i don't know if this is continued in the story that Fade Rotha's daughter he had an illegitimate child because they thought that he could be uh quizat's hatterack mm-hmm. and they had him sire i guess i don't even know if he knows about the kid but um yeah so that's a storyline is out so the harkonnen family aside from paul being also a harkonnen for yes. those who didn't know yes um they, they live on so i thought that was an interesting storyline that could be you know further drawn out in later editions but yeah he uh was killed <laughs> yeah i don't yeah it's been so long i don't remember his character too much i mean obviously i recognize the name i remember i <clears> see <throat> myself reading the name i just i don't remember too much about what happens to him um okay. i am curious like if he's gonna be in part one of the movie he might be yeah dude, i'm so curious now speaking of the movie because you think you said that it ended you think at End of book two, so before the start of book three. Yeah. Or part, part two. three. Yeah. Our yeah. Book, I was interested to see just because I've seen the trailer or some of them. I tried to mm-hmm. stop myself after so long. 
I don't, it's, there was a sequence that looked like Paul was fighting, but like fighting, fighting. And I was trying to think about what it, but also the cool thing about Denis Villeneuve is he has experience with the kind of time shift that this book will be doing or movie will be doing. Yeah. Given his, uh, you know, arrival, mm-hmm. in which time is not linear. It's all over the place. So I am yeah. very excited to see what he does with that. I am excited too. Yeah. I don't know. Like, cause yeah, there's a scene in the trailer where it's like a big battle on the fields or on the sands of Dune, but I'm like, Aren't all the big battles like towards the end yeah. of the book? So I am curious about all that. I wonder if that's like a vision Paul has or something. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, speaking of visions, what did you think about the pressure that Paul had because he was like foreseeing like uh, a jihad, as the book calls it? I think the, book, the mm-hmm. movie calls it a crusade. But oh, like, do you think that weighed like heavily on him or on like his decision making? It's interesting that they a changed the the term from the book to the movie. Yeah. But um, honestly, it seemed like all of this is my thing. I'm gonna be honest. Mm-hmm. Do I like Paul? No, I think Paul is kind of a punk at the end of the day. <laughs> at the same time, it seemed like he was doing everything he could to stop that. Mm-hmm. But then there's a moment close to the end, and he's like, "Oh, I realize no matter what, it's gonna happen anyway. So I'm just gonna kind of live and do what I gotta do." So I was like, "You tool!" But I understand, especially do you think it's as like a case of the lesser evil kind of thing. I think so. I think he's he's rationalizing it as I'm gonna minimize it and just make sure that it's as efficient as possible, and it'll happen with me or without me. So let's just kind of get do it going. You think that his free will on whether that was going to happen was taken away long before then because he was just the tool in so many people's plots. Ooh, fate versus free will. Check out that episode. (laughs) You're you're asking if I think that it was fate or free will that all this happened to him. Yeah. Because I mean, you think about it, he's a Duke's son. He is the Kwisak Haderach. And you know, it's not like he chose to be those things. He's also the Messiah, like yeah. He's also the Messiah, like, yeah, the yeah. Messiah for the Fremen people. Yeah. So it's so crazy how all of that, like in the book, it just—I mean, I give it to Frank Herbert. It just seemed like you could tell that it wasn't all like strung together perfectly, mm-hmm. and yet they were gonna make it work somehow. So yeah. I give him, I give it to it for the writing for that because you're like, oh, he's just mm-hmm. really gonna ride this out, even though we know it's not true. But um, in terms of that, honestly, just given the Things that Jessica set into motion, coupled with, I think, his upbringing. Like, just mm-hmm. he's someone who makes himself important, makes their skills known, and then just assumes control. I think it was a matter of just fate. I don't know if he really had any fruit. Because it seemed, even after so long, he said that no matter what happens, it will be made into a legend. I didn't kill anybody, but they'll say I killed 20 people. Mm-hmm. And then he said that um, even if I die here, they'll say I, I let myself die to become a martyr so they could continue on with the jihad or yeah. I didn't let myself die and nothing can stop me. So he, after so long, it was like, he's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, it's fate. Yeah. I think it's a little fate on this one that kind of was born into this and didn't really have a choice about the way that his life was going to go. Cause he starts yeah. having visions of this, uh, this jihad, like before he's even on Arrakis, it's like one of the first things that kind of comes up in the book is that, you know, he took, he speaks with the former Reverend mother about the dreams that he's having, that there's like a, a there's, you know, jihad and he can't stop it. Like this in the name of the Atreides going world to world, slaughtering millions and like, 
he just couldn't prevent it and he's like he's not why he's not sure why it's happening and then he realizes that he can't stop it it's inevitable mm. I forgot that that was literally like his first dream because he was talking about meeting. Um, was it? Do you do you call her Shawnee? Chani? I say Chani. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I, we'll see what the the, <laughs> see uh, the movie says. What the movie says. You know, we'll see what the movie says. So, um, yeah. Continue. Speaking sorry. of the movie, I know it's been a while. Oh no, but I was gonna ask. You've seen the casting now, specifically around mm-hmm. Shawnee and Paul. I don't know who Jessica is, but um. How do you feel about that? Is those kind of what you pictured, the individuals you pictured when you read it? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, Paul, I, I mean, I guess because I've read the sequels and now I'm kind of, like, envisioning Paul, but, like, <laughs> or Timothy Chalamet. But, like, when I first read it, I guess I saw Paul as more of, like, uh, you know, because, I mean, Frank Herbert's pretty light on actual physical descriptions in his novels. Yep. Um, so I kind of just saw him as, like, myself, but with maybe, like, darker hair. Um, oh, wow. So, uh, and then... <laughs> kind of cool, huh, bud? <laughs> yeah, kind of cool. So, and then, like, but not uh, blue eyes, at least until the end. Um, mm. So, and then Shawnee, I don't remember how i've envisioned shawnee because i only remember now i'm just envisioning her as zendaya when i read the, <laughs> the the sequels but i think when i first i think i just kind of pictured her similar to like um i don't know probably just like really tan brown hair kind of thing <laughs> i think that's that's and like blue eyes like i don't know <laughs> in my head i thought you were gonna say Bron, Bron oh, no, I was gonna no. be like, oh you had like a dream like paul but uh no dude see that's interesting because as i read it at first i like i pictured timothy chalamet mm-hmm. and then i stopped picture it's weird and i'm curious to see how they do this because Timothy chalamet is like what 23 24 no he's like 25 25 yeah he's like 25 26 no way he's older than we are no he would be like the same age okay roughly timothy chalamet is 25 years old i didn't know he was my age okay perf perf but um yeah no so paul is 15 (laughs) and i was like okay i can see timothy chalamet's 15 year old paul but i'm curious to see how they're gonna make him look like a little bit older he gets to be 17 by the end of the book yeah i'm like well timothy chalamet He'll look older, but he won't, like, you know, look mm. older, older. So. I know. I'm actually really curious. curious how this will be pulled off because I feel like Timothy Chalamet's got, like, a pretty big undertaking to go with on playing Paul because he has to show mm. off at first that he's kind of a boy, you know, like an yep. actual boy, a child in the grand scheme of things. And then by the end of the book, he's someone who, like, is mature beyond his years, terrible purpose yeah uh-huh and <laughs> <laughs> like somebody who has lived a thousand lives mature oh. like so it'll be interesting to see kind of how he tackles that um definitely. i think that'll be a big challenge and i'm excited to see what he does definitely and may, maybe after he can do a comedy just take a little bit easier for a second <laughs> in the next role that that is a very valid point because I forgot that, you know, when you do go through that whole experience that he went through, like the Reverend Mother kind of deal, that mm-hmm. you get imbued with all of the knowledge mm-hmm. from the lives. He basically. also can see the future, you know, like, he, yeah, you know, he has access to things that like, you know, most people don't have like and being able to kind of, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's like Absolutely. being able to see the future 
know that this whatever all your decisions kind of lead to and just kind of having the weight of like cultures on your shoulders at the same time um the thing that i appreciated about it too that i think might go uh unrecognized is the fact that not only can he see the future mm-hmm. he can see every almost basically every pathway that it could take so he's not only looking at one timeline he's looking at almost yeah. an infinite amount so just like being overwhelmed with that while also trying to stay in the present and let's talk about i was gonna say be a father mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know by end end of part two and part three he has mm-hmm. a son mm-hmm. apparently it's not a good omen to be named uh leto in this series uh leto two after his father um how did you feel about Paul as a dad? <laughs> well, it was pretty short-lived. <laughs> I'm uh, not laughing at it. I'm mm-hmm. laughing at you. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Alados have bad omens, um, which is oh. interesting. Uh, but I actually didn't know that his son, his first son, was uh, named Lado. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it's short-lived. Like, I kind of... I, re- I remember kind of reading, like, oh, he had a kid, and it's dead now. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like that. It kind of felt really quick in my mind that it kind of happened, and then he was nope. dead. Um, Absolutely. And, like, it just kind of... I actually do kind of feeling really sad for him because it's, like, his newborn son, and, mm-hmm. like, he had the whole weight on... I wonder if he knew that was coming. That's a good question. That's a very good question. It's interesting, too, because what Frank Herbert did was he doesn't show you everything. No. As I was getting towards the end, I was kind of scared. I said, will they be able to conclude this in mm. 20 pages? Yeah. But he doesn't show you, you know, Paul storming and coming close, or he doesn't show you them finishing out the battle. Just skips to the next scene yeah. after basically he says, like, and- it happens that you yep. know, the Fremen, like, sacked the Emperor's forces and, like, you know, obliterated, yeah. like, his ships and stuff and, like, says, like, oh, these people died and, like, because Alia comes in and just kills everyone. Yo, every- <laughs> I'm telling you, she's the goat, man. Mm. She kills oh, the man. Baron. She kills oh. um, some other people. Everybody and then injured. she, like, I think she, like, gives a speech to the Emperor saying, like, my brother's son died. He's not very happy. <laughs> she's like, not very happy. He's gonna be here soon. Don't you worry. Like yep. he's ready to take your throne, basically, dude. And with that, so as we alluded to before, Paul will not marry Chani. He will ultimately marry the daughter of the emperor, Rulan. Rulan to become the next emperor. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because. I thought it was strange that I didn't know who she was as I was reading every chapter. I know, but it was right? Always kind of like, her. yeah, yeah. No, and then right? it's, it's really cool that it's kind of revealed to be a character at the end. Yup, and it's also revealed that that's something. So she's in the Bene Gesserit training, mm-hmm. and that she's known for that. And then Paul goes on to say, "I'll never, you know, touch her. I'll never show her any love or affection or anything. She'll literally just be my wife in name only." But I was like dang that's kind of a hard punishment because she could never have a husband like her life is literally just devoted to him and recording all of his deeds Mm -hmm. and she'll that's all that she'll do for her life and 
But once again, it kind of made Paul come across as a d bag. So uh... I know he was cold. He was cold. Yeah. But like, what would you do to the family that basically conspired to kill your entire family and it succeeded? Name like. Oh, true. Oh, it's actually when you put it that way. <laughs> uh, I still like Emperor dead. Easy. That's cool. Mm. Whatever. As for her, I might have changed up the punish. I'd still have to marry her in order to become. Mm-hmm. Emperor, but kind of giving her like a concubine, like a male concubine. Yeah, you're in the male concubine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. let her at least marry someone else. You know, yeah, yeah. I wonder how that would look to like the political world. But then again, like how yeah, would that work? With, like with Chani, like you know, everyone mm-hmm. would know that the emperor doesn't, you know, bed Irulan as they say in uh, these times. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> even though it's like twenty thousand years in the future. <laughs> that he doesn't bet it really yeah no so i was that was um i was on my mind on my heart and then also the last like sentence in the book was freaking jessica out here saying oh well you know history won't remember you as a concubine they'll remember us as wives and that was just the the cherry on top for my disdain of jessica i'm like don't try to make yourself important you've manipulated so many people and all of this and now you're trying to make yourself seem like you're at the end of the day someone noteworthy who history will look fondly back upon and that is not the case at least in my eyes i know but history is written by the victors you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? The wife of the, Duke, the Duchess. The Duchess. Jessica. That's how she's going to be Jessica, remembered. Uh, Jessica Atreides. Um, <sighs> I am curious, though, as we continue to talk about this book, and I do want to eventually, we're already like 43 minutes, but I do want to <laughs> talk about um, kind of how you see or like some of the problems that might arise or how Denny Villeneuve will tackle some of the topics from the book into mm. the movie. Like, for instance, I'm curious to see how he tackles all the philosophy. Yeah, dude. That's going to be a hard one. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy in the, you know, Bennett, when you're just having conversations, Jessica and Paul or Bene Gesserit, that they're able to incorporate some of those things. But, I mean, for time, you have to drive the plot forward. So some of those nuances in terms of just conversational points mm-hmm. are going to be lost. Yeah. If anybody can do it. It's him, mm-hmm. but at the same time, that's a big undertaking, especially because you still have to establish the whole, you know, mythology of what the Kwisatz Haderach is, coupled with who the Fremen are, and then what, you know... Uh, also introduce ra- an entire world, or universe, yeah. rather, of yes. that Dune is set in. Um, Absolutely. Because I'm curious, like, how you thought about Frank Herbert's take on, like, technology is gone and it's just the evolution of humans it was interesting to me because spice is what drove basically everything i had trouble understanding exactly its significance so i knew that they ate it Mm -hmm. and that's how they got their blue eyes yeah but uh aside from that i couldn't determine how that was of use in such a way that you could basically hold the entire galaxy hostage by threatening to destroy it all because it was the only place in the universe that manufactured spice. But what is the, other than as food, what is the significance of spice? It allows people to essentially like, it's like the most valuable thing in the universe. Um, it allows like 
navigators to see the correct it allows people to like see like kind of partially into the future not all the time but it allows them to have like a deeper understanding of like human like thought sells it to the guild and to the guild navigators because they use it to navigate space because computers are a thing of the past um so that makes a lot of sense also i just remembered now that the the bene Gesserit needed to become reverend mothers so yeah, and they also, yeah, I was going to say the Ben Gesserit also use spice for their purposes. Um, so, wow. Okay, so that makes that mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. But also, sorry, just to go back super quickly. Speaking of spice and the fact that they were going to, Paul initially says, and he says this to the Fremen, we're going to make this a lush world. It's going to have water coming from the sky. All this water, no surplus. We're not going to be in a desert anymore. Yeah. And at the end, this Joker. Has the audacity to tell the emperor, "Oh, this will never be that planet. It will always be a desert with spice because because we need it." Yeah. I said, "Get in my face again, please." <laughs> Goodness gracious, this dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> side point. <laughs> but um, back to the the matter at hand in terms of just um, that's a much larger plot point in the sequels, the environmentalism okay. of desert versus lush planet. There's actually like a reason that. Paul, I'm sure, does he explore it in the book? There's a reason that he wants to keep it as a desert planet versus turning it into a lush planet. Um, Was it, oh, because he said it helps to make the Fremen tough so that they could basically, because he said it's like the uh, test of faith. He has that whole quote. Oh, basically because the emperor has his prison planet deal, like Secondus, whatever. Oh, so and he so wants I think to it's use, he, to, okay, so he was using it again to just exploit the power of the Fremen yep. to yep. keep them like that instead of, you know, making their planet better, which is what Kynes wanted, which is what Kynes wanted. But, yes. um, Johnny's it's interesting father. because there's actually another reason that's revealed in the sequels versus having a desert planet and turning it into a lush one. Um, so I'm sure it's hinted at, I guess, in this book. And maybe it's not, it's like probably subtly said and told, mm. but it's, it, it's definitely, he, Frank Herbert expo- expounds upon it even more as to why some people are trying to keep it a desert planet and why, uh, like why others are fighting against from keeping it a lush planet or turning it into okay. a lush planet. So I know the second I read the second one, I'll be, Oh, I remember when they said that. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually don't know oh. if it's explained until the third, third one it might be the second oh. one it might be the second one where like it's much more heavily implied but it's not so the third one where it's like yeah this is why um okay yeah but <laughs> yeah um so yeah that's that's that and that's doing so where do you think then the first part one of the movie will end uh, i think honestly i just have this vision in my head it's kind of like the movie Avatar. Mm-hmm. It's going to end when Paul is accepted into the Fremen. He's, I think at that point in time, he and Chani are a thing. And then he's going to like, wait, he's going to wake up. Basically, they're going to have a zoom in on his eyes. They're mm-hmm. going to open and they're not going to be brown anymore. They're going to be blue on blue. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to end. And basically following that, we're going to get into the, the build up with, tension between him and the Harkonnens in part two yeah I could see that yeah. I just can't remember how like part two of the book ended so I, like because that's where I'm thinking that the stopping point is and then 
part three, which I think is the longest part. Did you believe I literally just opened up to the end, the last page in part two? Oh, really? But uh, yeah, it's it's literally him and Shawnee um, after he's taken the drug for the, after his mom becomes the Reverend Mother. Okay. Okay. And so um, he's starting to see all these visions and everything. Mm-hmm. And so Chani's seeing them too because they have the kind of that shared consciousness. And she realizes that she'll ultimately be his wife and the mother of his children. And then that's where they're like, we'll be together. And then bam, yeah. end. I'm excited cool. for this. I'm excited for Dude. the scale of this movie. Absolutely. I think it's going to be pretty wild in terms of the sheer scale of the, of like, everything. Um, it's been building for so long. Every single podcast episode I think we've had, we've spoken about this. Yeah. <laughs> Either made mention or gone on for, like, a second. It's a storyline, Palmer. you got to build it. Keep people coming. I know, yeah, yeah. Keep the people. <laughs> Hope you guys have been enjoying this over the course yeah. of these several months. But uh, it's finally here. We're finally Terrible purpose. We're finally Terrible purpose. We're finally yes. at the precipice. And I don't know. I was gonna like read a quote from Frank Herbert, but I couldn't find anything for this particular moment. You know. <laughs> was Except for here. like he who controls the spice controls the universe mm, that's a good one to go out on i think <laughs> <laughs> mike drop everybody mike drop. buckle up yeah there you go it's coming. but yeah With theater near you there's so many like amazing uh quotes that it's just so interesting that he kind of built like this entire religion that is so deeply philosophical that you can really like read a quote from it and just really like a single quote and just really like reflect upon that quote kind of like what it means what it says dude i was looking at his background like just in the book like Mm -hmm. and he was like he worked as this a variety of jobs including tv tv cameraman radio commentator oyster diver jungle survival instructor lay analyst okay creative writing teacher that makes sense and he gives him like important but i'm like all of that from this joker and he created basically a whole religion with all these philosophical sayings and everything and mm-hmm. you know traditions i was like wow i give it to him i give it to him i really do it's only like it was only his like third book at the time too oh wow yeah well yeah i mean it's impressive absolutely it frank impressive. Um, i'm proud of you so to top it all off, what are you most excited about for the movie? Like, what are you excited to see from the book now that you've just read it to be on this big screen? Are talking about scenes? Sure. We could talk about scenes or just, you know, anything. I am excited to see the scene where the Baron has uh, the Duke mm-hmm. in front of him with the tooth. Um, I actually have not also looked at the casting other than... I know Chani and um Oh, do you want me Paul. to tell you now that you've read the book who the uh, Dune cast is? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's okay, do it. okay. So so you only know who Paul and um Chani are. You don't know who yep. anyone else is? You don't know who Leto Atreides is played by? Okay, so Leto Atreides is played by Oscar Isaac. Really? Yes. Jessica like like is played by Rebecca Ferguson. Know the name. Looking her up. Duncan Idaho is played by Jason Momoa. 
perfect. That's honestly who I pictured in my head. Really? I saw him there. Oh, and I was like, you know, that'd be awesome. He was Duncan Idaho. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Stellan Skarsgård plays the Baron Harkonnen. Real? Okay, I can yeah. see that. He, can but, see like, that. he's really big, fat guy. That's <laughs> um, what I thought. Okay. Um, Javier Bardem is Stilgar. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Dave Bautista is the Beast Raban. Okay, good choice, good choice. Yeah. Um... David Dostmachian, or I don't know, how he says he's been in a couple of Dennyville News movies, and he was also in uh, like The Dark Knight uh, or Batman Begins or something, one of them. But he plays Peter de Vries. Peter de Vries. Yeah. Oh, P- oh Peter the. Okay, yeah. okay. The Mentat. Yeah, the Mentat. Yeah, um, Josh Brolin plays Gurney Halleck. Really? I, I saw him more as um, Hawat. Hawa is played by Stephen McKinley um, Henderson. Stephen McKinley Henderson. Oh, okay. I can jam on that. Mm-hmm. And then who else is like... Oh, you got... So they changed. So Leet Kynes in the book is a male, but in the movie it's going to be a female. And, really okay yeah, it's played by sharon duncan brewster sharon so she'll be um whatchamacallit's mother yeah i guess so um interesting mm-hmm. and then charlotte okay. ramping plays the guy as helen morheim okay okay mm-hmm. okay yeah Ooh, solid cast solid it's cast. a very solid cast you know and then you obviously got you Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya for uh, Paul Atreides and Johnny. Yeah. So it is quite a cast um, for this movie, which is pretty exciting. It's got a Dude. stellar cast. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. Let it be 3.30 already on, mm-hmm. on Friday. Let it be 3.30, oh, baby. I'm buying popcorn. I know it. I'm buying popcorn. I think I had to buy popcorn as well. Um, I think I just have to. It must be done. Yeah, has to be done. Absolutely. I'm gonna buy a drink, but I'm not leaving. You know, I have to. I'll. I'll I don't. I'm not leaving. <laughs> I know. I'm. I'm like. I'm like worried. I'm gonna have to pee in the middle of this. You know. That's what I'm saying, I'm so I'm like to so, ride it out. Just same pain. It'll be worth it. I'm so worried, <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited to. Uh, I'm excited to see like so. I'm just excited to see like how Denise vision of this book is kind of portrayed on big screen i'm just excited to see everything just fleshed out um it'll be great i'm really excited for hans zimmer's score bro bro music makes the movie man Mm. that is the guy you want yeah and the best thing is is that he loved dune like it was his favorite oh. book, like growing really? up as a kid. It's like one of his all time favorites. He's already he's mentioned this in a couple of interviews. And he made four albums worth of music for this movie. Like he just kept making music for it's it. It's just coming out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I have the spice one, <laughs> the spice the mm-hmm. coffee. So I'm like oh, beyond man. pumped to kind of hear the soundtrack of the movie how it's like mixed in with scenes. There was a scene I saw with uh, beast Raban talking to the Baron Harkonnen and like chills, dude, 
Like uh, <laughs> Dave Batista did so well in that scene. It's just like, dude. and like Stellan Skarsgård plays the Baron so hauntingly well. It's so great. I'm so excited for this movie. If you cannot tell, uh, <laughs> really, I, I couldn't tell, dude. I couldn't, I couldn't tell, tell at all. Tell, but, um, it's exciting stuff. So, dude, definitely. It's only a couple more days. A couple more days, Palmer, and we, Absolutely. you know, just think. By this time next week, we would have already seen it. Could you imagine if it was a stinker and we had to come back to like, uh, uh, yeah, guys. Uh, you imagine? <laughs> sorry to let you down. But I mean, that's why, I, that's why we're going to go through it. We're going to critique it. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. So everybody that's stick around nice. because. And the best part to... is, is that if there's a scene we need to go over again, it's literally on HBO Max. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. We can literally just, you know, fast forward to and be like, oh yes, this scene. Remember this scene? <laughs> Analyze it, break it down. Yeah, yeah dude, I forgot down. about that. So. Oh man. Perfect. All right, Palmers. Uh, anything else you want to add to this? All I can say is I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. So did you enjoy the book overall? I did. I yeah. did. It was like I said, more philosophical than I thought, but it's got me thinking just which is what you want which is which is mm-hmm. what you want to do and just kind of get to those processes in motion and uh I'm still digesting it because I think I finished it like four hours ago. But uh <laughs> I know I'm coming to grips with it. Thank yeah. you, thank you. It's all fresh oh, on man. top of your mind. That's uh that's Absolutely. good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Anyways, thank you all so much for listening. That's been our show. I'm your host, Charlie Budd. Joined with me, as always, is the wonderful Jordan Palmer. We're the What You Got podcast. You can listen to us every Monday. We apologize that we haven't been on Monday for the past couple episodes. But, uh, you know, we're really excited for the next episode, Dune. Be sure to go see the movie this weekend so you can hear us on Monday gush all about it or, you know, criticize it in any way, shape, or form. Well, who knows? We've been pretty blind about it. But be sure to follow us on uh, wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts. We're going to be on YouTube, uh, tweeting that out with where our YouTube channel is, where you can find our videos, all that stuff. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media. Palmer, you want to give them the handles? I can do that. On Instagram, you can follow us at What You Got Podcast, which is spelled W H A T C H A, or you can follow us on Twitter at What You Got Cast, which is spelled the same way. And be sure to tweet at us, you know, tell us anything you thought about the book or the movie. We'd love to hear it. So catch you guys next time. Peace.